we are talking about when pigs fly. We are talking about the miraculous. We are talking about the things that just don't seem to make sense in our understanding of the way the universe works. So we use the phrase that we use in our society, when pigs fly. Because it's impossible for pigs to fly. And uh, so when the impossible happens. It is a good thing, I believe, that it is impossible for pigs to fly. Because if, if pigs could fly, then the price of bacon would skyrocket. It's a definite concern, right? I love the phrase, when pigs might fly. I, like, I love the poetry and the imagery and the kind of fun nature of it. And the other phrase that we use in that vein is, is when hell freezes over. Have you heard that phrase? Something, something will happen when hell freezes over. We can't use that phrase anymore. I don't know whether you know this, because hell is a town in Michigan. And uh, last year, hell froze over. Uh, so it's not quite as miraculous as you might think. So we'd avoid using when hell freezes over as a... Uh, as a story, but I love the way we do this, and I thought it was a, a peculiar thing of the English language that we use phrases and idioms like this, but you know what? They use them in all languages around the world, and it has that same oddness to it. Let's have a, I'll have a, have a quick survey around the world. Here's what they say in Turkey, uh, when they, they say in Turkey, when the garden is full of ducks holding pastry in their hands. It's great, isn't it? It's a bit long for us to use, but there you go. In Serbia, the phrase is when the willow bears grapes. In China, they say when the sun rises in the west. In Algeria, they say when salt blossoms. In Palestine, the, at least the Arabs in Palestine say something similar. They say when the salt glows. Uh, in Germany, they say when dogs bark with their tails. That's a little bit more imaginative than I thought the Germans would be, but there you go. In, in Thailand, this one really confuses me. In Thailand, they say, when the 7-Eleven closes. <laughs> it's in the name. I guess by the time 7-Eleven got to Thailand, they dropped the, the meaning of 7-Eleven. Um, Arabs in the Persian Gulf have a, have a great one. They say, uh, and I put the Arabic in here. Let's have a look at this. When the cow goes on pilgrimage on its horns. Um, I put the Arabic in case, because I'm not sure I really believe that one. So I want someone, if anyone, anyone read Arabic? No, oh, I was hoping Saba was here. Anyway, all right, we were going to check that one, but that's okay. Uh, and in my favorite, my personal favorite is uh, from Bulgaria. They say miracles will happen when the pig climbs the pear tree in yellow slippers. <laughs> Humanity has, a, has, has very creative and inventive ways of describing when the miraculous might occur. So this week we start this four-week series on miracles and we're going to focus on the four main types of miracles that we see Jesus perform in the Scriptures. We see Jesus performing miracles of healing, don't we, John? We see miracles of protection. We see miracles of provision. And today we tackle what is probably the least talked about, probably the most creepy type of miracle. We're going to talk about miracles of deliverance. No, it's not when Australia Post brings your parcel on time. It is something else entirely. See, when God does miracles over the forces and the powers of darkness, when God exercises His power over demonic forces. All right, now, I, 
If I wasn't a salvo, I'd be willing to bet that some of you were sitting, sitting there thinking, this is all pretty weird. I'd be willing to bet that some of you were sitting there thinking, I'm not sure I even believe in demons or the powers and the forces of darkness and, and stuff like that particularly, or, or I don't really want to think about it that much. It doesn't really make sense to me. If, if that's you, I'd ask you to, no, we won't raise your hands, but I've got to say that I'd be pretty much in that boat, except for the fact that there are a number of stories in the Bible where Jesus speaks to people who are demon-possessed, they respond to him, they obey him, and so have to acknowledge here that there is something that even though I don't and can't fully understand it, of course, because it is the supernatural, I can't ignore it. And so today we're not going to ignore it. What about Paul? Paul was an early church leader. He was a very down-to-earth kind of guy, super intelligent. He was a citizen of Rome, which made him an upper-class citizen, an upper-class member of society. Only the wealthy and the noble were granted citizenship of Rome. He was a very sensible kind of guy, and this is what he wrote to the Ephesians, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's from Ephesians 6 verse 12. So in other words, your boss, the trolls on Twitter, your mother-in-law, they're not your enemy. The person who always argues with you on Facebook, how many people have got a Facebook friend who just seems to... Anybody? I've got too many Facebook friends then. They're not always your enemy, are they? We battle against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. I, I think this is important, particularly in the Salvation Army. I think we do well to remember this, because I think we can very easily become carried away with serving people, advocating for people, counselling people, feeding people, clothing people, housing people. We're doing all these things for people. And I think sometimes we forget that we are called to fight not against flesh and blood enemies, not against the political power players of the world and the structures that cause injustice, although those are important. But the opposition, the primary opposition, exists behind the scenes in the heavenly realms. There are two mistakes I see, two mistakes that we have to think about when it comes to, to thinking about the forces of darkness and evil in the world we we inhabit. Mistake number one that I think most, for a lot of people make, mistake number one is overestimating the power of evil. You know, they make the mistake of overestimating the power of evil in their life. You know, like there's a demon under every bed. I don't know why I did that with American accent. Don't tell anybody. But there are those traditions that see demons everywhere. If you... Um, Maybe about 20 or 30 years ago, there was an author by the name of Frank Peretti who used to write books of wars between angels and demons and everything was interpreted in that way and everything was seen in terms of angels and demons and, oh, my phone fell off the table, a demon must have knocked my phone off. I got into American accent again. You, you know, no, you just bumped it. <laughs> 
right? A demon, I'm broke because of the devil. No, you're broke because you bought a new phone, a new car, and you went on holiday to Hawaii. That's why you're broke. It's not that. Do you remember um, Hansi Kronje was the captain of the South African cricket team? And do you remember back in the year 2000, they were, let's not talk about the Australian cricket team recently, but let's talk about the year 2000. Um, They were caught up in this massive match-fixing scandal. And he went on television and said, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. It was pure greed. It was all you, buddy. Sometimes we like to blame the devil about everything. You know, if there is a devil under your bed, cut the legs off your bed and just get over it. It's not true. I think sometimes we see the devil everywhere. You cannot blame everything on the devil despite what you might think. The truth is the devil did not make you eat the last of the cheesecake. The devil did not make you drive at 120 kilometers an hour in a 90 zone. That's on you. It's your fault. Let's not blame the devil as much as I would perhaps like to. But on the flip side, the second mistake I think we make, and this is my mistake that I make a lot of the time, is to underestimate the power of evil and demonic forces. I grew up in a very practical, down-to-earth house, and I'm sure many of you grew up in the same way. Not in my house, but in yours. Very practical, very down-to-earth, very practical, down-to-earth Salvation Army. I uh, studied science. I loved it. Physics, engineering, great. And, and, and the miraculous, and the, 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 either the miraculous or the demonic, either way, didn't really fit into my worldview, and it really doesn't fit easily into our current worldview, our very scientific, practical, modern worldview. And that's the way I grew up, and so that's the way I generally approach things, except that I started to volunteer at Red Shield Kids Camps. That was an experience. That experience showed me that there is plenty of things out there that science, education, social work, welfare, police, docs, and all the rest cannot do. There is something unseen that cannot be treated by anything seen. There is something in the lives of those kids that was untouchable by any human process or program. Can only be addressed by the authority, the light, and the power of God and the Holy Spirit. So we have to conclude. Well, you don't have to conclude, but I conclude. Not concluding the sermon, we got more. But in this aspect, we have to conclude that while they're not going to go around seeing demons hiding under every bed, we have to acknowledge that there are more problems than we realize that have a, a spiritual evil influence. Yeah? Do we agree? How do we see this? How is this demonic influence made manifest? How do we see it? Because it's important to, see how we, to, to understand how it comes out so that we can see how God addresses it and brings light to it. First of all, evil tempts us to sin. Wow, shocker. There's a surprise for this morning's message, okay? Great big piece of wisdom. Evil tempts us to sin. The great message of Genesis chapter 3, right up near the beginning of the Bible, the first time we talk that, that is talked about a relationship that exists between humanity and the divine 
shows us that there exists within creation an element that seeks to draw people away from a trusting relationship with God. This, this element is, is pictured as a serpent. And the serpent says to Eve two things. First of all, the serpent says to Eve, um, more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, uh, he said to the woman, did God really say? You question what God says. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Did he say that? Now, it's an interesting point, right? Because he actually, God actually said that to Adam, not to Eve. So, anyway, there's some ambiguity there, right? And, and what does the serpent do? Plays on that ambiguity. Did God really say that? Makes you question what is true and what is good. And the second thing that evil does, you will not certainly die. It lies. It lies. Serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There is the very root of all sin that exists within humanity. The desire not just to be made in the image of God, to be like God, on equal footing with God, with the same authority as God. The desire to take God's place, to rule in His stead. For the created to overthrow the Creator is the foundational principle of evil and sin. So that's the first and most obvious way in which evil works. The second way in which evil works is a little bit more subtle but similar. Evil distracts you from God's will. One of the interesting stories I find uh, in Scripture, one of the ones I really like, is Matthew chapter 16. Jesus takes all his disciples out to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And uh, this is kind of outside the normal Jewish territory. This is a place where there are uh, monuments and graves and, and statues and things to all sorts of pagan gods and, and people and people they consider to be demigods and things like that. The whole town is named after Caesar and Philip, uh, the son of Herod, who you've probably heard of during the Christmas story. So, um, you know, it's, it's a very pagan place. And he goes out to this place and he says to his close disciples, you know, he's starting to get a bit famous and he says, look, what are people saying about me? Who do, who do they reckon I am? Who do they say I am? And, and they come back with all sorts of great answers and not quite the right answers. And he says, who do you say? All right, all right, let's flip this around. Who do you say I am? And Peter, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, is the quite outspoken one, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, well, essentially, he goes on for a whole paragraph, but he says, essentially, good answer. You're right. And then, so he gives, Peter gets a good pat on the head, but then Jesus starts to try and explain that it's going to have to happen, that he gets arrested, that he gets tried in some sham trial, that he gets executed, and then on the third day he rises again. He tries to explain this to them. And Peter, how's this? Uh, verse 22, Peter took him aside uh, Jesus, look, uh, enough of that. Look, can I talk to you for a second? One, one second. Sorry, guys, just... Never, Lord. This is never going to happen to you. He just said it, right? And what does Jesus... <laughs> this is harsh, right? Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Ouch! He goes from top of the class to Satan. It's a massive change for poor old Peter in just a paragraph. 
poor bloke. One of the primary examples of what evil actually does. It's such a good example that Jesus names Peter as Satan because he clearly embodies what evil is all about in that moment. Evil not only wants to make you do the wrong thing, but it wants to make you do the not quite the best thing. Does that make sense? You know sometimes God is calling you to do this or calling you to do that or or this and that and you think, oh, look, I I won't do that, I'll I'll do this. It's a good thing to do, I, I should do that, but it's not quite the right thing. That's what evil does. It draws us simply by saying, oh, this is a good thing to do. Well, it's not quite the best thing. Distracts us from God's purpose and plan for your life. That is evil, pure and simple. And finally, perhaps the most difficult one to understand. We come back to the story that we read earlier. The demon-possessed man, whether it's one man or two. So the story is recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke. um, And in Matthew, I think it's two two guys who are living in the tombs. Um, In Mark and Luke, it's multiple demons living in the one person, so either way it kind of works. But here's uh, here's the description of the man's life from Mark 5.5. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. Luke 8.27, as he stepped out on the land, a man of the city who had demons come to meet him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. Evil causes self-destruction, self-harm. It usually results in self-destructive behavior. Perhaps for a more acute definition and a little bit, one that we would probably more expect when it comes to talking about demons, demons, Um, From Matthew 17, uh, a man comes to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on my son, he says. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. Jesus replied, bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. So whether you uh, accept, understand or see that kind of behavior in a person, where they are just throwing themselves on fire. Or whether it's a lot more subtle. Because I think as time has gone on, humans have developed many more subtle ways of self-harm and self-destructive behavior. And that is all down to evil. So, here's where we come to the end of the message. I want to ask the band, you guys want to come and start to play. We're going to sing that song we sung earlier. Fear doesn't stand a chance. So here's where I want to recap for a moment. I want to say, don't assume that every problem is a result of demonic influence. Okay? We're good with that. But also, don't assume that any problem is not a result of demonic influence. Don't write it off. And we're going to spend some time praying against it in just a moment. 
because we all need to know that we are subject to evil influences and impulses that tempt us to sin, that draw us away from God's plan and cause us suffering. We are reminded of what Paul says to the Ephesians, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you might be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So here's where we want to land today. Do you feel like you are under attack? I know there are a lot of people who will face medical, personal issues. Many people suffering injustice, many people struggling with temptations and habits in their lives, and ultimately, they're all causing you to feel pain and separation from God. Do you feel as though you're under attack? Secondly, in our prayer time, I want to reflect on the words of the song, my fear doesn't stand a chance. This is the armor. The love of God is the armor that strengthens your resolve to keep standing and fighting and beating back the darkness that threatens to bring all of our lives undone. Well, perhaps today, you you don't necessarily feel like you're under attack. Amen. That's brilliant. But perhaps you can see someone else who's perhaps under some sort of influence. Someone you know who just keeps doing things that are self-destructive and self-sabotaging. Maybe they are caught in some sort of addiction. Maybe, maybe they suffer in some other way. Today, we're going to have a time to pray for them. To pray that evil would be defeated. That the light would come. That they would know victory in the name of Jesus that they would be fortified and strengthened to face whatever it is they have to face. Does that sound okay? Can we pray for that? Would you like to sing with me? Well, I think these guys are going to sing. And as they sing, this place of prayer is open. Whether you you want to come and pray for yourself, for strength to fight, perhaps you want to come and pray for somebody else, for strength to fight. May we know freedom and release. And may our friends, our family, may they know freedom from darkness that threatens to bind. Let's sing, let's pray, and the place of prayer is open. Let's pray.